The story of history is the story of invasions. One group of people moving into someone else's land and taking it. One nation ends, another begins. Invasions drive history. Few Americans understand this is happening to them right now. The United States of America is being invaded. For the love of God, this is a damn invasion. Who is allowing this? They invaded our privacy. I think it's an invasion of the country. In other words, it's ending. The country you grew up in no longer exists. Soon it will be unrecognizable. No one is fighting back. Few are even acknowledging it. And the people who lead us are letting it happen. Why are our leaders letting this happen? Well, to destroy the country and to change the demographics. Who lives here determines what the country is like. This country is changing faster than you may understand. Americans are being replaced. That's not a conspiracy theory, it's a fact. In August of 2023, illegal immigration outpaced American births, a brand new population. Last year alone, over three million people came here illegally just over our southern border. The media won't tell you it's happening, but if you look around, you can see it, and you can see it most clearly in our cities, which are collapsing. We elect people to protect us. That's what politicians are paid to do. But they've done the opposite. They've sold us out, and they've crushed what our ancestors built. Take a look at our cities. They're hellish, and immigration is the reason. The city of Chicago was in tough shape even before Joe Biden opened the border. Now, parts of it are basically uninhabitable. Even the socialist mayor of Chicago says the city is breaking under the strain. Without real significant um, investment from our federal government, it won't just be the city of Chicago that won't be able to maintain this mission. It's the entire country that is now at stake. The Illinois Chicago's politicians may complain about illegal immigration in public, but in private, they're paying for it with your money. They're spending more on illegal aliens than on their own citizens. They're doing this secretly. They're hiding it from the public. Our team uncovered a shadow terminal, for example, inside Chicago O'Hare Airport. Hundreds of migrants were being hidden there secretly. Our team pulled up with cameras rolling, and at first we didn't see much. The city erected a black tarp to hide what was going on. The motive was simple. They didn't want us to see it. And a third-party security group paid for with your tax dollars told us that was prohibited. We weren't allowed to see. What are you doing? I want to look inside. For what? For what? They weren't local or federal law enforcement, so we ignored them. They had no authority. They were rent-a-cops. Inside, our team found more than 100 beds on the floor. The smell was overpowering, repulsive. It was filthy. But it's not just airport terminals that have been given over to people who've come here illegally from the poorest countries in the world without permission, criminally, and yet being supported in every detail of their lives by taxpayers. No, even police stations in Chicago have been turned into refugee camps. This is new video never seen before of what's actually happening inside Chicago's police stations. Keep in mind, the people who work in those police stations are paid to protect you, but that's not what they're doing. They're running refugee camps for illegal aliens. As our cameramen approached the Chicago police precinct in the city's downtown to see what was happening inside, you see people come out, illegal aliens, shooting in the middle finger and yelling. They didn't hide their hostility. Many other illegals have been pushed into poorer, predominantly black neighborhoods on the south side. We went there. We spoke to someone who has lived on the south side of Chicago virtually his entire life. 
He's enraged by how the city has fallen apart under its sanctuary city policy. Andre Smith, CEO of Chicago Against Violence. I don't know the count, but I know that the readiness, the language of sanctuary city, state, and county should have had a plan, but it led to a massive destruction. I have seen almost the worst of the worst in Chicago, but seeing this migrant crisis was the most devastating thing that I ever seen. You live in America, the place you grew up, the place you'd like to see your children grow up in much the way that you did. But that won't be possible. Meanwhile, China accelerates buying farmland while they try to cut off everybody else's farmland. You can see what's happening there. But I wanted to play a clip of Tucker Carlson with the great Jack Posobiec, with the great Tucker Carlson, talking about bird brain, talking about Nikki Haley, which is true. She is nothing but a pure robot and an archetypal example of what we face. Here's the clip. No, you'd be cool with Nikki Haley on there, right? And Nikki Haley running with Trump? Oh, that was a joke. You know, that's so grotesque that I've got to think people who support Trump currently would come out against Trump. You know, what, you know what someone said to me recently? Do you think that's real? I think there's a push for it. I think the push From for whom? It is real. From her people. You know what someone said to me, though? Very, very recently, we said on the show, they said, it was Richard Barris, he does People's Pundit, and he said, full credit, he said, they will install her, they will try to install her as VP, so they can take out Trump. Of course! Are you, there's, for, I, mean, I was about to say, there's no one more sinister than Nikki Haley, but that's giving her credit for existing, which I don't think she actually does. I mean, but I think Nikki Haley is a hologram. I mean, she's not, Nikki Haley is just a physical representation of the lust for power of the oligarch class. It's just yeah. like, if Ken Griffin, you know, had a sock puppet, it would be Nikki Haley. I mean, it's like the most, dis why is Nikki Haley even in the race? She's, her views bear no resemblance to the views of Republican primary voters, none. She's totally for the BLM riot. She's totally for the training insanity. And she's for declaring war on half the world. You know, I honestly think if you said to Nikki Haley, she, you know, she's whatever, I've got her positions now. But if you said to Nikki Haley, look, I have a lot of money, like for real got a hundred billion dollars and I'll give you a third of it to come out and attack Israel. There's no question that she would. And this is a person. You just turn around. Just no, one time, one time like that. You know, I've really thought about it. And I think that Benjamin Netanyahu is the you know greatest threat to world peace. And I think, honestly, we should take their nuclear weapons away. Maybe we invade Israel because they're a threat to national security. I think she'd be saying stuff like that if you paid her enough.
so we're starting a new year. Thank God. Thank God that we're starting 2024. Hopefully we'll have a wonderful year. We'll have a great year. Hopefully none of the things that we're all concerned will begin to happen to undermine and bring down America before this next election. I think everybody can see every day that the American people are voting for Trump. They're voting for Trump every day, and they're going to vote for Trump at 309 days. <clears throat> and you can see that the, the system, the systematic control of our listing and floundering Republican form of constitutional Democratic representatives, you can see that the, the power structure of the world is interested in bringing America down. And of course, that was the plan when we got involved with this Federal Reserve system, when we had the the illusion of a choice between the Federal Reserve Act and the Aldridge Act. Everyone knows historically with what happened in America. And we got brought back onto a central bank fiat currency. Because let's face it, in 1929, during the Great Depression, after 16 years of being on the Federal Reserve central bank system and America turning into a national banking customer of the elite international banking system. And of course, you, you know, using all that borrowed banking credit and the, the compounding debt of uh, the fractional reserve banking process that we were put through, right, would lead inexorably to this place where we're now at, where we have to go into this insolvency, where America's lo- losing, has lost its triple A plus credit rating, right? Now we're just down to AAA, maybe go to AAA negative, right? We're going to go down, 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 because no one's going to have these trillions of dollars to pay back this interest. It's unfair usury. It's an insane amount of compounding interest that is the result of dealing with central banks, and we've always known that. That's why it was so important that we got off the the, the previous Bank of America and Second Bank of America, the, the previous iterations of the central bank. We had to get off there. We had to make sure that we weren't going into insolvency and absolute permanent debtor class status, right, as a nation. We had to make sure that we could have our gold and silver coinage, right? Our gold and silver treasuries moving around and circulating as currency around America. That was the center of our wealth. And the another center of our wealth was our academic standards, our high level of scholarship and intellectual development here in America, which goes along with our high level of very rich cultural supremacy, right? The rest of the world was so envious of. We led the world for that, I guess, 20th century, what have you. But as we go forward, you can see that the the interests of the international oligarchs and the elites and this the deep state controllers are interested in bringing us back into the final enthrallment to our masters who we left. Our masters and noble lords and liege lords and dukes, right? We always go through this, all the nobility, the royal bloodlines, who we owe fealty to, that's what they say. Our obligations, our noblesse oblige, we're obligated to recognize the nobility to, to which we should bow to, etc. They're carrying that on and on and on to the future. They have their, their new king, Charles, over there. They, they, uh, they're really proud of their king. And uh, naturally, he's at the center of our problems here in America because he's obviously an acolyte and a financier and a proponent of the World Economic Forum and of the Klaus Schwab's and Henry Kissinger's and Zbizny's Bravinsky's of the world who are interested in only just de-evolving and collapsing the development of America's national sovereignty and and, uh, declaration of independence, right? And it was this breaking away, this philosophical separating from the divine right of kings, the divine right of popes, and their expectation that they have some kind of divinity to start with, the presupposition that they are the 
the vicars of God and the, the, the voice of Christ on earth and the, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we're still resisting that. We're still declaring our independence from that. It's becoming more nuanced and more sophisticated as it goes along, you know, trying to declare the environmental rights of the earth and, you know, to save the planet from patriots who declared their independence from England, right? Those patriots who declared their independence from England, they're white and they're in a land of people that are brown. They shouldn't be there. Those brown people should kick those white people out of those patriots out of there, right? That's, that's, that, that's the nuances of the social, critical social theories that are coming out to harass us, right? We're being harassed as Americans by, no matter what our particular epidermis complexion might be, right? I, I have a complexion on my epidermis. How about you? But they expect that this particular melanin in our skin makes us look a little bit different from one another. It's a heredity that we pass down to our children because we've our ancestors have been in these different environments. And uh, as a result, our epidermis has these different levels of um, pigment and, and melanin. And so since we look different, they think that they're going to use these critical social theories to have us all rip each other limb from limb. But of course, it's not working. It's not working well. There are some sickening, horrifying crimes from degenerates and zombies that are, you know, just traipsing across America. But by and large, you can see that the whole structure of society itself the many people who are here in America don't are not interested in the chaos. Are not interested in the outrageous racism of these racial theories that are supposed to have each other angry at each other. And I don't think we're going for the bait, guys. I think we like each other. I think we like one another to be different, right? I, I think I like to look across and see the in the stadium of Americans uh, cheering for their team or whatever. I want to see all these different Americans, right? All these different colors. I think these racists in these other countries, like in England, and they, they're so they're spreading the cheeks so wide. To, to compensate for their racism because you can look at the royal family they're, they're racist right they're just built in clansmen they just they, they're never ever going to let anyone with any pigment in their skin even when that one prince harry married that white girl they said she was black Nah, she's not black dude you better come to america that woman is still white i don't care what anyone says and if those racist nobility could not recognize that that woman was white that hollywood actress then they're racist right I mean, if that was too much pigment, if that was too much melanin in her skin for them, and that made her black, right? Or whatever, whatever it is, the mindset we're supposed to be in this white-black conflict, this dialectic, right? Oppositional forces, right? Whites and blacks. How can that white be with a black, right? Well, these are humans. These are human beings. And they have a myriad variety of ancestors, so we, we don't we don't have this incestuous kind of thin skinned where you can see the white veins through the thin white skin, right? We we don't have to have this incestuous, continuous marrying our cousin routine like the royals do, right? So we can have other people from other families who are directly related to our own royal families, right? Because we're not nuts, so we can have like I guess like Prince Harry can have. A wife who's an American who has a variety of ancestors in her background. So her the melanin in her skin and her complexion is very beautiful, right? So so these racists over there, they're the ones who are trying to subsume us all into this race war. But we don't have any racial hate in America, right? Whatever they're trying to generate with some kind of Marxist college campus morons, it's not working. And those sycophant, bootlicking, 
worshippers of Obama. I call them the Obama worshippers, right? Of course, they're going to go run around and only white people can be white, white racist. They're, they're trying to generate this racism in America, right? They're trying to find like a, a, a toehold that they can push up on in order to kind of create the the headlines, create the, the sense of the atmosphere that there's, you know, some kind of racial inequity in America that, you know, these are their words. And of course there isn't. And if there are, then we'll work it out in court and people can, can get charged with criminal activity if they if they're really seriously haters and acting out on on hate towards other people based on their their family backgrounds and their their heredity. Then of course that we you know we can point that out and, and develop that. And of course, if people want to maintain their own families and their own particular ethnic heritage, right? If these people come from Belgium and they just they only want to speak Belgium and they just want to marry someone Belgium and they just want to have Belgian kids, you know, I don't care. Go for it, man. It's a free country. Do what you want. Be who you want to be. You don't have to go and and you know hook up with some other with some other shade, right? You don't have to go be like, well, my complexion is like this, so let me go hook up with some other complexion, and you don't have to go, you know, racially mix up your complexions just because, you know, because other people are doing it. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you're you're a modern person, right? So that that's the whole idea. They're, they're coming forward with this whole presupposition that if you're if you have less melanin in your skin and you're from a European extraction and your your skin is a little bit light complected and then you try to go and marry someone else who has a light complexion and your kids are going to have a light complexion and you know be you look like they're from European extraction as well then of course you're racist right because you cannot produce as a white woman or a white man I guess that's the word you can't produce any more kids who look like you or you're racist right so you have to you have to change the last 20,000 years of family planning right and just switch it right so if if you come from you know an african background you can't just go marry some other african person who has a dark complexion right you got you gotta you gotta marry someone who looks different you gotta mix it up we gotta everything everything's gotta be mixed right mix mix this mix that if you don't mix baby you're a racist you gotta race mix right to not be a racist right you gotta gotta destroy whiteness can't have any more people running around who are looking pale looking european looking like vikings you can't have that Right? You can't have that. That's awful. So tell me what those people will do. These pale people. Right? So these are the different ways, the the, uh, the critical theories, the pseudo-intellectual mind control that these people are exercising over the populace and over the students on campuses and over parents at school teacher meetings and et cetera, et cetera. And just, it's a basic slow-moving process of breaking down the American people, eroding the traditional American patriots who came here for freedom, for religious freedom, for freedom of speech, for freedom of firearms, for freedom from King George or King Charles or King George or whoever, right? Just whatever king is over there who thinks that he got his power from the Pope to kill us and inquisit us right with the inquisition well but none of those ideas have really changed substantially right these people are still right there they're still carrying on and they still have they're still butthurt and they have every every interest in the world and very calmly through the united nations climate control agreements right just very very subtly just ripping our country back from us right and just bringing us down to this collapse i think these obamas they're all in on it they're in on getting rich and selling out their country and training their own people they love it right they're weak degenerate perverts so you know why wouldn't they also be traitors and and commit treason against their own country of course they would in every way 
and not just in the political decisions and the policy calculations that they made, but in every single way, every day, all day long, and deep in their heart, in their heart of hearts, if they have any, they hate America. They hate that, that these people came over here and started this country and took the power away from the nobility and the royals, right? And ultimately began to make decisions for themselves. We decide, you know what? Let's, let's just get rid of slavery, right? Let's get rid of it. And we can try to pretend like somehow the French and the English get some kind of credit because with the, the French, they got rid of slavery 1807 for france ending slavery and then maybe 18 the 1820s or something like that for for england 1815 something like that and so it wasn't until the 1860s for us but of course the french and the english don't get any credit for their subtlety and their cunning because of course they took full advantage of the slave trade for many hundreds of years before america existed so you can't just suddenly just America comes into existence in the 1770s and then you guys, oh, it's 1810. It doesn't seem like slavery is going to be very politically viable anymore. It's let's just let's get rid of it, right? No, you should have never been involved with the slave trade. The slave trade should have never existed, England and France, you perpetrators of slavery. There should have been no slave ships from France or England floating around the oceans in the 1770s to bring the slaves to the American colonies. It should have never existed. It shouldn't have existed at the time when the Americans had to fight a civil war over the issue is one of the issues. And the truth is, is that even though you, even though France and England used slavery to destroy people's lives for centuries, and then suddenly when it was advantageous to them in order to make themselves look so pious and civilized, right? They just, they threw it off at the very last moment in history there, so to speak, and then just left America kind of holding the bag and the Americans in the South. And it's not to say that the Americans in the South are absolved from any responsibility. They should have known better. They should have been able to read their Bibles and see that God doesn't like slavery and God sets slaves free. And uh, they should have known that God was going to set their slaves free too, even at the expense of Egypt or even at the expense of the South. God sets slaves free. So it was their wrong that they sided with them. You know, maybe they could have fought the North over other issues, but slavery shouldn't have been one of them, right? And so that's that's true. But you got to understand that the original founding Americans who are developing our Constitution and trying to find a way to deal with this horrifying issue of slavery became an instant point of conflict. It was contested by people who were not interested in giving up slaves in the 17. 80s, right? 1790s. So this is going to be before America's Constitution and before England and France and slavery in their own countries for their own political use, right? For their own political savvy aims. They didn't end slavery because they didn't like it or they thought it was wrong. They ended it because the world was growing sick of it. And you can see that truth and that reality in the fact that the original Americans, the original framers of the constitution didn't want slavery at all they wanted to get rid of it and they had a huge argument and a huge fight and they had to settle out with this three-fifths and the fact that a slavery is a slave is a human and a human would have three-fifths instead of a whole right they should have a whole human right right they should be counted as a whole human but they would be counted as three-fifths of a person and that was the compromise that was the closest they could get to undoing slavery in the 1790s now it became obvious to everyone else that slavery was going to become a massive issue a contentious point in america in subsequent decades it was time for france and england to to do away with it 
and leave America holding the bag of slavery. So they have all these these morons in America who are going around trying to blame America for the entire slave trade, the entire horrifying atrocity of slavery altogether, somehow blaming it on America. Of course, it, it existed in human history far longer uh, than America ever did. It existed since 11, 1200, you know, so six, 700 years before America, slavery existed. Islam was taking slaves. The Pope was sanctioning Islam to take slaves. The Pope was receiving slaves. The papacy was sending slaves all over the world. The Pope would use the slaves to build Georgetown University, right? They didn't, nobody had a problem with it. It was only till these Protestants and these Calvinists and these Baptists in America, these Presbyterians and Lutherans, do they decide they didn't like slavery anymore and then they almost ratified it and almost got rid of it entirely. They almost ratified the extinction of slavery in their original constitution, but they had to settle for three-fifths, sadly. Of course, that whole issue of three-fifths of a person was worked out later in the Civil War, sadly, tragically, horrifyingly, because all we had to do is just end it there at the beginning. So it was the sin of America engaging in this slavery when we're supposed to be a Protestant Bible-believing nation. It was the sin of Protestants and Calvinists and Baptists here in America that they didn't work it out originally, right? They couldn't just get rid of the slave owners and push them off, right? They they had to in order to make, to bring forth the union and to bring forth the, the constitution, they had to kind of settle and compromise with slavery. So that was the sin. It was obvious to everyone because it wasn't but a couple decades later that France ends it and then England ends it. But of course... English slavery and tyranny under of the nobility that didn't end. English slavery and tyranny under the usury of international central banks and Rothschild banking lords and the Bank of England that none of that ended, right? The, the the London Square Mile, the square the secret square mile, the secret city of London, right? That control that slavery didn't end. So the the subjective calculation of ending the sub-Saharan transatlantic slave trade was just simply a, a ruse. It was simply a careful calculation on the part of the elites to now make America the focal point of slavery. And you have this 1619 project. No, I'm sorry. The slaves were being taken long before 1619 by England. So so England was the slavers. England was the slave ship captains who, with East Indian Trading Company, right? They wanted to trade slaves. They wanted to trade slaves all over Canada and all over America. And that's what they did. And when, you, when, it was no lo- when it was obvious that slavery was no longer tenable and it was a massive human atrocity, they just, they, they backstepped, they, they backpaddled, they walked it back. They stepped back from it and pretended like they were the great liberal renaissance champions of ending slavery. No, no, I'm sorry. You guys were the foremost point of the speech enforcing slavery all over the planet. The, the catastrophe of slavery was a disaster. It was a human disaster. Human beings were misplaced, miserable wretches who had been horribly mistreated and abused and they had been carted all over the face of the earth. That's why in France, in San Domingo there and by Haiti, right, there was the Great Slave Rebellion and they, the slaves there became so numerous that one day they, led by a French slave, they threw off their shackles and they grabbed weapons and they murdered every white man on the island. That's the history of Haiti. That was the great reflex and the great revolutionary blowback that happened as a result of having all this slavery, all over, especially African slavery, all over the planet. So now move forward to 2024, we're going into. These individuals in the past had made innumerable fortunes, mountains of gold, on the backs of these poor people that they shipped all over the place. And now the fact that they've been shipped to every single country in South America, every single country in Europe, and all over the world is not the point. The only point that they are trying to make now is that there were slaves in America. Oh my God, right? The hypocrisy of it all. 
not America, right? Slaves are never meant to be in a Christian nation. There was never meant to be slavery under Christian ideals and under Christian beliefs. So the fact that there was slavery in Haiti, okay. It's not the fact that there was slavery in France, that's fine. But if there was slavery in America, well, we have to have the 1619 Project. We have to blame America for all slavery. We have to punish. Americans have to pay for reparations for these slaves. So all, all that's been done, it's all America's fault now, right? See how it works? It's just part of the critical racial theory, theorizing that leads us in America to this catastrophe. It doesn't leave any, anyone else to a catastrophe. It doesn't leave England and France in a, in a catastrophe for their racial, their historical racial hatred and racial slave trading, right? No, just America. Just America is to blame for it all, not Islam. Oh, Islam, from the river to the sea, oh, is it, we'll be free. Right, Islam is so great, but we can't blame them solely for the entire episode of horrifying slavery. We can't blame it all on them, right? No, that wouldn't be fair, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be right to blame it on a religion whose central fulcrum of their entire religion is to take slaves for Allah, right? No, let's blame the Christians. Let's blame the Christians who tried to forge their constitution to end slavery from the very beginning and, and sadly failed. Let's blame the Christians who later on had to rectify that problem of calling slaves three-fifths a person and go into a, a civil war that left all the inhabitants of America and the North American uh, continent here under the slavery of central banks and of a federal government. Is that what the North was fighting for, to lose their own status as nation states to the supremacy of the federal government and the Union, to make the Union its own federal government? I don't think so. I don't think that's why these men created the Union in the first place. These men got together and formed a Union so they could work together, so they could preserve their own nation's sovereignty. So that Pennsylvania and New York could be national, independent, sovereign national states. Independent, sovereign nation states, right? And the whole point of coming together and forming a temporary alliance was to defend against losing their sovereignty and losing their nations. But that's exactly what happened. Do you think Pennsylvania is a nation anymore after the Civil War? Do you think any of the states, even in the North, do you think that they maintained their sovereignty as a nation state? No, they didn't. They lost that too. So the slavery in the South was horrible. The rebellion of the South was horrible. And those men, they got put down. But you know what? The men in the North, they lost their nations too. They lost their currency too. They lost their farms and families too. They lost their own ability to be called citizens of their states. They were all subjected to the new sovereignty and the tyranny of Washington, D.C., right? After the executive orders, the, the profound controlling executive power of the emergency war powers that Lincoln took on, after he was shot in the face, those emergency war powers became the unrelenting tyranny and the overbearing supremacy and hegemony of the agreement between the nations became the empire to rule over these now defeated states, subjected states. Look at California, subjected, impoverished, in destitution, being poisoned and ravaged by fentanyl and drugs constantly. The, the taxes going up and up and up, and the services going down and down and down to there's nothing. It's just a total tyrannical debt-producing slave state, right? Once it would have been in its own great nation, right? It would have its own constitution, its own government, its own sovereignty, its own people, its own citizens, the Californians. Oh, no, not anymore. There's no more Californians now. Now you're just citizens of America, citizens of the United States. That's it. So that's what we lost in the Civil War, in that catastrophe. It wasn't just the South who lost their nations. It was the North as well. They lost. 
So don't sit there proudly and put your chest out and beat your chest and think that you've done some great thing in the North because of that war. You didn't do anything great. It was important that the, the people in the South be made to let slavery go. But in that catastrophe, in, that, in the development, in, in the ability of these European overlords to see that this was going to be a huge issue in America, it, could, it was obvious that these people were going to be fighting over slavery, right? That's obvious. There's no doubt about it. It was time for them to take a step back and end slavery in their own countries and leave this huge burgeoning and sickening wound and festering wound in America to become what it became. So after the, the, the 1820s, then the, the push towards emancipation and the abolition of slavery became a hugely overblown dialectical destruction in America, right? So the issue couldn't just be carefully worked out and, and neatly handled the way that it was in France and England, but the whole process of the idea that Americans were being set up to lose their countries, to lose their nations, and to lose their own rights in this issue of abolishing slavery was being set up on all sides. The way that you can see in America how many political c catastrophes are basically set up. You can see that this carefully choreographed chaos over George Floyd is a perfect example. Was something, did something go wrong? Sure did. Something went wrong with George Floyd's situation. And were there people well prepared to take advantage of that chaos with George Floyd? Were there people already paid to be outraged, right? Paid protesters? And then the whole sophistry of the Black Lives Matter Marxist movement, burn, loot, murder, right? And so all that ideology and carefully placed reactionary violence in America was something that somebody just paid for and dialed up, spun up. It wasn't a natural occurring incident. And so you can see that these political issues here in America were being focused on like a laser. And there were many movers and shakers and power, and power elites and international banking lords, etc., who were taking a direct interest in what was going on in America. And, and it was so much so that you can see that Lincoln had to go to Rothschild bankers to get loans. And, uh, and simultaneously, Jefferson Davis had to go to French Rothschild bankers to get the money they needed for the war. And so the, the banking elite had already could easily see that America was being divided at a tectonic level. So these deep channels of division were chasms, and they were going to make sure that they fanned the flames and financed the conflict and make sure that this war got kicked off and that everyone could have cannons and, and swords and, and make sure that the Americans could kill each other off. So we just had to take a few moments here to, to cut in to our just lively discussion and introduce the, the book that we are putting forward for our book club. And uh, which you are presently joining, and thank you for that. And we are putting forward some uh, some ideas that are you know no really no longer really accessible to average Americans or to people who are in the modern era being presently conditioned and impressed into the order of the overarching power structure of the empire itself. And this unifying imperial imperial theme is uh, on the biblical scale, as these things often are, and that is in the form of specie or money or coin or currency, right? So just like in, that we often discuss how powerful the symbology is of when Jesus Christ holds up Caesar's face on the golden denarius coin there, which is probably in the process of slowly being 
the value of it slowly being dissolved by the forces of Roman imperial inflation, which, you know, sometimes they would just grind off the edges and just, you know, take uh, tiny chips off of each of the coins in order to make new coins or you know, et cetera, et cetera. They would just put lesser metals into the coins to kind of water them down, expand and make more, more coins. But ultimately those would, that process would slowly devaluate the money across the empire. But let us pull back here to this discussion of another republic that collapses into imperialism, and that is the, this year, United States of America. And the aforementioned sovereign nations of American independence joined together by civil union, right? Of course, that union, that civil union, would eventually overtake the states and subordinate them into an inferior state, an inferior status, wherein the state, the, the nation states, the, the, the sovereign nations in that union would no longer maintain any sovereignty, but would be subsistent components of a larger whole. And that is how we arrived at this place of empire. And so a big part of that, the, the slide and the dissension into imperialism has a lot to do with the money, with our money It's in, in the process of getting all the people to be basically bank customers of one system of international banking, ipso facto, the Federal Reserve System. So once you're all customers and beneficiaries of the Federal Reserve note here in America, of course, we're all proponents of that monetary system and none of us would do anything to, to say anything bad about our dollar, right? We go all over the place to defend its continuing reign of hegemony all across the world so that the global reserve currency could never ever be taken down, right? So it would be just be continuously ubiquitous monetary power for America forever, right? Wouldn't that just be wonderful? But of course, that's not really realistic. That's, of course, not really reality because the truth is, is that the Federal Reserve System does need to be taken down and we need to figure out what happens next after the global reserve currency uh, it changes to something new. Maybe we could have a, a, a different... Maybe we could have a restoration of the constitutional prescription for gold and silver coined money. And so every day, every week, you could get your paycheck deposited in the bank and it could be gold and silver money. All right, that sounds good to me. Let's all vote for that. See what I'm saying? It's pretty simple. And the idea of us being uh, indebted to these trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of printed out debt notes, Federal Reserve debt notes, Seems like a horrible idea. Though those things are unaccountable usury from this Bank of England tyranny that's really like obviously being backed by the ancient systematic imperialism of Rome. Everybody knows that. And so as we continue on, we can see that some so much of this information is being revealed here by C. T. Wilcox in his book, The Transformation of the Republic. So we hope that you find this uh, this discussion to be valuable and illuminating for you. And I find it I find it useful at this point to point out that during this whole period of time, when we're seeing the issue of the the horrific sin of the slave trade being used demagogically as a political weapon against America in the South and creating this civil war, which was obviously being approached, and you can see that the Holy Alliance or the 
the Congress of Vienna or the Secret Treaty of Verona and the Council of Shuri that, that, the, that are not as well documented events become rallies of those particular political banners. But behind the scenes, you can see that right there at Yale University, as we like to say, in 1823, uh, I'm sorry, 1832 and 1833, were there quietly created the most, some of the most powerful weapons of throne and altar ever devised. And I would like Jack Posobiec and some of these other Roman Catholics to take responsibility for their connections to that church, that Vatican system, that particular popery, and these occult papal knights, and these occult systems of fraternal power, like the Skull and Bones Order, and like the Knights of Columbus, who are, we don't take it lightly that we have to, you know, name those names and bring up those particular allegiances and power structures as they are. But those are weapons of war designed and put into place by the Vatican and by the Order of Loyola. And they were the same weapons of war that were designed and put into place in 1822, which is exactly the same time as the Congress of Vienna and the Holy Alliance and their rise of the nobility and the divine right of kings, royal class of oligarchs and elites and Klaus Schwab's, right? The Metternichs, they're, they're all rising to declare their continuation of the philosophy of the Council of Trent and the anathemas of the Jesuits and the curses thereof. And they're going to continue to try to maintain dominance of the old world order and turn it into a technocratic technate, a new world order structure or whereby they could, you know, cybernetically control the world and whereby it's easier now to push a button and to kill a million people than it is to try to control a million people, right? So this is an era where the we have to point out that the skull and bones men, like John Kerry, and like the men in, uh, who were in, in charge of the financial department over in Trump's, um, Trump, the Trump, the first Trump administration. So Trump had skull and bones, you know, men in there. And in the person of Steven Mnuchin, who is connected there to that particular power elite, and so it's an extension of that. And, you know, I have concerns, even though I really favor and really like Ron DeSantis a lot, have concerns about his connections with Yale and whether he might have been tapped and brought into that particular order. And if so, he would be hard pressed to never speak about it at all and to totally deny it. And so it's hard to really get to the bottom of those things. And those things would have really tightened up. But those were the mechanisms and those were the, the knighthood cult uh, papal knighthood orders that were established here in America, New Haven, Connecticut, in the 1830s to begin this move towards absolute papal dominion of the United States. So it's, hard, it's, it's important to know that, the, the source of that. So once again, let's return to this fascinating discussion. Uh, you know, and it, what we were being taught in our grade school system was like diametrically opposed to what you guys were being taught. For instance, like the war of 1812, it was, it was, I think down there, it's, it's kind of passed off as, uh, some sort of British invasion that you were repelling or I, I'm not too sure. Um, what we're taught is that it was a case, a pure case of American expansionism coming into Canada 
and it was, and they got as far as uh, maybe the Toronto region and that, and then were kind of driven back across the border. Um, and then, uh, you know, as far as uh, the white, the west wing of the White House being burned down to the ground, uh, apparently it was a bunch of what well, we're taught anyway. It was just, just a bunch of uh, guys from uh, Halifax that, that got liquored up and whatnot and decided to go on a tear. <laughs> you know, you know, let's have some fun. And uh, the White House kind of became the White House because they had to cover it in white paint because it was covered in soot and, you know, kind of charred and whatnot, right? So thank Canada for having a White House. There you go. There you go. You know? um, but yeah, and, and a lot of it centered around, uh, you know, like the Civil It was just the, the whole the whole history of, of uh, early North America, like thoroughly different. And, and, and then when I was going to various churches uh, when I was a child, I couldn't understand why there was this uh, linkage with politics all the time. And I, I was reading the Bible when I, when I started when I was like five years old. Yeah. And um, thanks thanks to my aunt, I, you know, like I, I really appreciate what she did for, for me in that respect. But um, when I was in like a, a air, which is a, air cadets, which is the same thing as the I don't know, civil air patrol in the states or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. We would do like a church parade kind of thing every so often, and the church that I went to was High Anglican, which is almost the same thing as Roman Catholic. And in this particular church building, they had flags going along both sides of uh, you know where the people sit and that, right? And I asked the minister, what are all these flags? All you know, Well, these are all the flags of the military uh, battalions that we've supported throughout, you know, uh, the ages and that. Uh, well, how does that jive with what Jesus said? You know, like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And he couldn't really explain it. And so that kind of got me on a quest of comparing what the Bible says to what all these churches believe. And that, and I just finally came to the conclusion that a lot of them are out to lunch, and I cannot, uh, I can't justify any Christian being involved in politics when Jesus himself, uh, when his like even his own followers said, "Well, why don't you, you know, like uh, get into the political field?" They, they wanted to make him a king, exactly. Yeah. You know, like, and that's like that's a, it's a it's a political office. And he absolutely said, no, absolutely not. You know, uh, my followers are not of this exactly. world. Exactly. My kingdom is not of this world. That's right. And that, doesn't, and that doesn't mean this this planet. Right. Or, or, or anything like that. The world about, system. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah the, this world of politics, which is a man-made construct. You know, and it goes all the way back to uh, the, the, the fall of, uh, with, with Adam. And that where he says, like, I will judge myself what's right and wrong, right? That's like the, the very, very beginnings of human politics, if you, if you want to really get down to it. And um, so, so I, couldn't, I, cu- I couldn't stomach listening to these preachers, you know, start discussing this world, like, when we're not supposed to, like, it, it has nothing to do with Christians, like that's that's a we live in a, in a in a different world. We live in a different 
you know, like sphere of influence, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Even though we have to live amongst our neighbors and that, it, it doesn't mean that we have to partake in the same things that they partake in, you know, in, in, in that whole process. You know, that's why I read what I read from the, from the introduction to your book, because you got it. You got the idea here of exactly what isn't about God founding fathers of this thought streams that were going to exclusions here between the states and was the interest. Here, let me, let me give you a quote from German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck discussing that entire period uh, of American history. He says that the division of the United States into federations of equal force was decided long before the Civil War by the high financial powers of Europe. These bankers were afraid that the United States, if they remained in one block and as one nation, would attain economic and financial independence, which would in turn upset their, their financial dominion over Europe and the world. Of course, in the inner circle of finance, the voice of the Rothschilds prevailed. They saw an opportunity for prodigious booty if they could substitute two feeble democracies burdened with debt to the financiers in place of a vigorous republic sufficient unto herself. Therefore, they sent their emissaries into the field to exploit the question of slavery and to drive a wedge between the two parts of the Union. The rupture between the North and South became inevitable. The masters of European finance employed all their forces to bring it about and to turn it to their advantage. And Abraham Lincoln realized this. He knew that the Rothschilds, who hold the official title of Guardian of the Vatican Treasury, by the way, that's kind of the linkage to the Vatican there, he stated the money power, meaning the Rothschilds and the Jesuits, preys upon the nation in times of peace and conspires against it in times of adversity. It is more despotic than monarchy, more insolvent than autocracy, more selfish than bureaucracy. I see in the near future a crisis approaching that unnerves me and causes me to tremble for the safety of my country. Corporations have been enthroned. An era of corruption will follow, and the money power of the country will endeavor to prolong its reign by working upon the prejudices of the people until the wealth is aggregated in the hands of a few people and the republic is destroyed. That is exactly the situation you have right now. Yeah, it's completely um, prophetic. Yeah, totally. And you, let's go back now, and maybe you can help me pull some threads together. So we have the monarchical powers the, the in Europe. We have the Rothschilds, who are the bankers to the Pope and also the bankers to the Crown of England. Is that not correct? Right. And bankers to the United States. Because you've got to remember that the, the U.S. banking system, as it stands right now, is nothing more than an arm of the Bank of England. It's a branch off. Power goes... Your taxes ultimately go to the Vatican. If you really want to get down to, mm-hmm. down to the brass tax, right? Uh, the, the IRS collects on behalf of Federal Reserve System. They take that money, ship it across the Atlantic to England. England then ships it to the Vatican, right? And that's how the you know the, the Vatican uh, is turns around and is able to buy up this, that, and everything else. All these you know land holdings and real the real estate, the businesses, you know they're into all kinds of booze, right? You go into a liquor store and you buy Benedictine. What do you think? <laughs> exactly? You know, I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, so the, all these enterprises and the, you know uh, 
And then you have these orders like, like the Jesuits that take a lot of that money and become majority shareholders in the Bank of America. And there were many movers and shakers and power, and power elites and international banking lords, etc., who were taking a direct interest in what was going on in America. And it was so much so that you can see that Lincoln had to go to Rothschild bankers to get loans. And, uh, and simultaneously, Jefferson Davis had to go to French Rothschild bankers to get the money they needed for the war. And so the, the banking elite had already could easily see that America was being divided at a tectonic level. So these deep channels of division were chasms and they were going to make sure that they fanned the flames and financed the conflict and make sure that this war got kicked off and that everyone could have cannons and, and swords and, and make sure that the Americans could kill each other off. So it wasn't a surprise. The Civil War wasn't a surprise. It was a slow-moving train wreck that the ob it's obvious the European power elites took advantage of it. The whole issue of slavery, the whole issue of the rights of these independent nations to have their own liberties, right? I'm not saying slavery is right, but the nations down there had their own national rights and their own national sovereignty to make choices for themselves. So if England and France and other nations were going to end slavery, these other nations who had their own independence were going to choose to maintain the slaves. So it's obvious that the whole entire powder keg was arranged for the dissimulation and for the destruction of American, for the American people and the American nation, which was almost complete. But if it wasn't for Abraham Lincoln, who carefully stepped through complicated steps that it would take to unwind the entire mess. But of course, America was fractured and he took on war powers that were illegal, that were not constitutional, that he, he didn't really have. He made decisions in those powers that were, some people would say, tyrannical because he didn't have the right to make them. But he was making the choices that would lead to America surviving. But of course, America didn't survive very well because we ended up with this, instead of a phalanx of independent and powerful wealthy nations working together, we ended up with a an unelected imperium, an empire out of Washington, D.C., Took it, took it upon itself to forge all the different independent nations in America into one nation. So we're well past being a union of nations. That's what I like to say. Oh, the North was trying to preserve the union. That's all. Oh, that's all? They, they were trying to preserve the union of the nations? Well, we don't have a union of nations anymore. We have a union of independent little counties. That's what the states have been reduced to, little counties. And we have one single nation out of all those independent nations. And so you can see that America has now become a shadow of its former self, the former constitution. The constitution wasn't written to make a super empire out of all these independent nations who are going to be cut down and made enslaved to the big nation. The constitution was written in order to preserve the sovereignty and the power and the independence of each of those independent nation states, which it failed to do. So that's why everyone tells you, in the constitutional rights, what constitutional right? What constitution? What nation state do you have? You have a county. You live in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is now a little county. It has a little county chief that steals the elections. It has a little county senator that gets steals the elections and sends himself up to, to represent Pennsylvania when no one elected him. So, guys... This idea that somehow now you have to go and try to restore your constitution, it's, it's well, it's well, let's let bygones be bygones. I mean, it, it's, it's over. The only thing left to do now is to reduce the executive orders and the illegal war powers and emergency war powers of the wartime commander in chief. Right? We don't, that's not in the constitution, right? That's, that's the whole point of what we're trying to say here, guys, is that now we've become an empire. We've become an empire of a dictatorship of executive orders. And the independence 
of each of the different nation states is over because now you're totally subsumed into the process of making debt and making war because that's what America does now. That's what the imperial capital of America in Washington, D.C., that's what it does all day long, every day. That's its main objective is to make war and to put everyone in debt. So these nation states in Pennsylvania or, or New York, Florida, they're once great nation states, independent nations. They're not independent anymore. They're just slaves. They're just slave states, debtor states to the debt-creating capital. That's all it is. And that's how we're going to go down. That's how this is all going to end. You can see it's going to end and they can. you can see that the European elites and nobility and the power elites have watched us for these centuries and they are aware that we are at the end of our debt cycle. We are at the end of our national sovereignty and we're at the end of this the run of this limited imperial hegemony has really burned itself out. And now we're giving all of our money to Ukraine, trillions and billions and billions and trillions. We're going to give all of our money to this or that. United Nations aid to, to Palestinians so Hamas can attack Israel. You know, So this whole situation is it's farther, farther from just being a deep state tyranny. It's that the whole imperial structure of America has been turned and contorted into gross, tyrannical, and subservient proxy force, a mercenary Hessian force that goes around the world at the behest of London and the Vatican, making sure that we do we spend our blood and our treasure to fight conflicts to support them, right? It's not about supporting America. It's not about America's national heritage anymore or about our constitution. It's, it's not about that. It's about using, despitefully using, using America's military initiative and whatever financial strength we have left to slavishly and subserviently serve the masters who we originally broke away from, who we originally fought to be free from. We fought to be independent, to be liberated from. Now we serve them with our little satrapy empire, our little military empire, our emergency war powers, military government that we have ruling over us, commanding us, telling us, right? You don't, they don't even need laws anymore. They just need mandates. We mandated that you get a shot. We, there's no law. We just, we made this suggestion and now you have to do it because the cops say so. Like, right? Can you not sense the tearing and the breaking apart and the smashing asunder of everything that America was before? And, and people, we're not, none of us are super geniuses, right? None of us have been in the rooms of all this Right, the Jekyll Island secret deals. I know all this stuff is going on in the background, quietly, occult treason, occult treachery taking place in the background, and none of us are really aware of it, or, or we're just trying now to to work it all out after the fact to understand it and to understand what has become of us and our nation. And so we can't sit around anymore and pretend like waving our flag around means what it meant to Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and Thomas Paine, right? Those, that America is gone. So what does our flag mean now when we wave it around to people? I know that I, I mean it to mean liberty and freedom and excellence and Republican freedom for all, right? That's what I mean. But what do people see? What do other people around the world really see when they see that flag? Not what you intended to mean. Not your best intentions, no. But what do people see? What is it? What is it reflected on? What actions and activities has that been, that flag been busily working away at? Yeah, let, let me help you. Think viral labs in Ukraine, right? The virus labs in Ukraine. That's what's been going on. We've been having our deep state treasonists, the power elite who serve their masters in London and the Vatican, etc., the World Economic Forum. The United Nations, etc. And they understand well 
that this entire nation has been turned inside out, has been turned into something else that it wasn't originally meant to be, and is now being used sickeningly and violently being used to prop up this international globalist agenda, including going to Iraq, including going to Afghanistan, and then leaving Afghanistan and, and, and leaving it for the Chinese to come and make deals with the Taliban now, right? That base was 400 miles from, from China. That was our forward operating base, and these morons gave it up. Because they're not listening to the directive of the American body politic. They're not listening to the representatives who sent them there and voted to put them into place. They're not listening to the people who they owe their their sworn oath of allegiance and obligation to. No, they're, they're working for these international elite masters. And they're steering and turning America in every direction that's best for the globalists. And is of course obviously not best for America. So we're like we're like a a zombie state, right? We're riding around here, paying all of our taxes, so that uh, Hamas can shoot Israel and Israel can shoot Hamas. That's what we're paying our taxes for. We're paying our taxes. We can uh, attack Russia by building horrifying, dangerous biological weapons labs in their in their neighbor's country, right? And then and then manipulating their elections to put in a false a falsely elected guy. Right? Zelensky is just elected by the deep state, right? Everyone knows that nobody in in, in Ukraine elected that guy. So this whole process of putting in a tricking the election out and putting in someone else that they want is something that they do all day long. It shouldn't surprise us even even in a little bit that now Ukraine is being used in the most despiteful way. Tens and what, hundreds of thousands of their men and women in Ukraine are going to be killed here just to serve the wishes of a falsely elected president to go to war with an enemy who in Russia who is trying to protect itself against the machinations and the military provocations of America who is using Ukraine, right? They didn't want to let a pro-Russian president get in there. They wanted to use their color revolution CIA tactics to put in Zelensky. And then now you see the results. Everyone's dying. So these manipulators who are serving these globalists and who are tricking out our intelligence agencies, our justice department, our executive branches, et cetera, et cetera, to use those agencies, those institutions, treasonously to serve other foreign interests and not our own, those individuals need to be found out. We need to do an investigation to find out every single person who's been doing this, every single person who's been serving the interests of these disgusting pharmaceutical companies, and we need to put them on trial and hang them. That's what needs to happen, guys. And if we don't do that, that tough work, the very, very tough business of wresting our nation back from these individuals this is how we're going to die. This is this is how it's going to end. You got to remember that the, the U.S. banking system, as it stands right now, is nothing more than an arm of the Bank of England. It's a branch off. Power goes. Your taxes ultimately go to the Vatican. If you really want to get down to mm-hmm. down to the brass tacks, right? Uh, the, the IRS collects on behalf of Federal Reserve System. They take that money, ship it across the Atlantic to England. England then ships it to the Vatican, right? And that's how, the you know, the, the Vatican uh, is turns around and is able to buy up this, that, and everything else. All these, you know, land holdings and real, the real estate, the businesses, you know, they're into all kinds of booze, right? You go into a liquor store and you buy Benedictine. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, exactly. You know, I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, so the, all these enterprises and the, you know, uh, 
And then you have these orders like, like the Jesuits that take a lot of that money and become majority shareholders in the Bank of America and, you know, other, other banks. And, and, and uh, so that's kind of how all that, that whole circle it goes, right? <laughs> Let's get back to the beginnings. You had a bunch of people that were pretty choked at living under a system of government that they did not want to live under anymore. So you have the Revolutionary War, and then you have the, the, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution coming up. Every, the whole world is looking at this. Most of the world, especially in Europe and that, are looking at the fact that the United States just pulled off the biggest coup in history against the monarch think that they are placed in their position by Almighty God Himself and who have the complete backing of the Pope. What they were living under in Europe was very much a symbiotic relationship. The monarch is uh, is is uh, obeyed as if he was God, right? And the church supported that by telling their parishioners, "Support your monarch because he's placed there by God." Oh, it's Romans 13. Yeah, that, that's a real you know, marvelous perversion of that, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Right? Because uh, Romans 13 is not talking about political leadership no, it's whatsoever. Not. It's talking about church leadership. It is talking about spiritual leadership. The Back spiritual hierarchy. Right. It is not talking about politics at all. Thank right? you. Uh, so, let's, yeah, we got that out of the way. So what happened was, you've got this push for political and intellectual freedom, uh, and it's starting to catch fire in Europe. The European monarchs are scared to death that they're going to lose all of their standing and all of their power and all of their wealth if they don't somehow put this movement in check. So they came up with a document, an agreement, called the Treaty of Verona. And the Treaty of Verona was an agreement between certain European monarchs and the Vatican to destroy popular representative government worldwide, beginning in Europe and expanding to a fountainhead, the United States. The people that were put in charge of implementing that treaty was the Jesuit order. Now, at the same time that that happened, Prince Metternich of Austria, who was kind of like the head cheese, decided to start up a foundation that would essentially pay for the immigration of the dregs of Europe, mostly uh, Roman Catholics and religion, to ship them over to the United States and overwhelm the vote, because they saw a loophole here, a big one, right? And that's called one man, one vote, and the power of system of government, right? Where it's very much like a bottom-up system. The people decide what kind of government they want, and it's not dictated to them by any monarch or, or, or anything, right? So they ship these people over. They got this, like, huge slush fund and ship these people across the Atlantic to bolster the numbers to eventually one day set, put in their own candidate who they know will be loyal to, first of all, a monarchical-type system of government, which... Oh, in many, many cases, it gets transformed into a dictatorship of one form or another. And that dictatorship ultimately is backed by the clergy. So they, set, they, they, they bring all these people over, settle them, and then give them the power of the vote and put in their own candidates 
who they know will eventually try to pervert the Bill of Rights and the uh, and the Constitution and 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 move in that direction towards a more uh, authoritarian, autocratic type government. That's the bigger plan. So that's uh, and and they've been working on that ever since 1822. Okay, let's pull into the conversation now how the Jesuits work into this the Society of Jesus the uh, Sons of Loyola as they're also known uh, those who want to do a little boning up on this subject can just go out and do a Google search on Ignatius Loyola and you'll get a brief history of the formation of the Jesuits but I think what many people lack in their understanding and what I myself lacked in understanding for a long time was a firm grasp on just how insidious the Jesuits have been in insinuating themselves into the American system and how they worked to undermine the Republic even probably from the very beginnings of the Republic. Um, okay, well, like Samuel Morris, the inventor of the Morse Code, uh, wrote a couple of books on that uh, explaining exactly how that worked. Both those books, by the way, are, are up on my website as, as downloads, and these are not like typewritten versions. These are the actual book uh, from 1835 that were photocopied page by page and then turned into a PDF. Right? The Jesuits initially were formed as a response to the reformation of Martin Luther. All of our freedoms can be traced back to Martin Luther and, and the people that came after him, like the whole Protestant Reformation thing, right? The Jesuits were formed to counteract that and destroy all the freedoms in every respect. And they were also placed in a position, uh, when the Treaty of Verona came about, not, they were the ones that were instrumental in putting that dock in, in an actual practice. Um, they came across the ocean in the, in the uh, office of, like, educators and that, right? And um, so, you know, they set up the universities. So here they are stating that they are there strictly to educate people and that, but what their education was was uh, designed to do was to sap a citizen's interest in his own country away from his own country and toward uh, the papacy, towards uh, the Vatican interests. Right? That that's kind of the whole thing. So, and they act covertly. I, how do I put it? Yeah, covert. Uh, the best way to get it, to get around their headspace is to uh, go to the oath that uh, they have to take because there, there's there's what about four different levels of Jesuitism, the higher higher levels and they're set up like a standing army. They have rank. Okay, the highest rank, the officers, the high officers. Uh, have to take an oath that state that they had their their oath actually says you have been taught to insidiously plant the seeds of jealousy and hatred between communities uh, provinces and states that were at peace to incite them to deeds of blood involving them in war with each other and to create revolutions and civil wars in countries that were independent and prosperous cultivating the arts and sciences and enjoying the blessings of peace to take sides with the combatant, to act secretly in concert with your brother Jesuit who may be engaged on the other side, but openly opposed to that which you might be connected, only that the church might be the gainer in the end, and that the end justifies the means. So here they're talking about infiltration and subversion. They go further and discuss how they will ultimately um, exterminate anybody who does not believe in the same thing that they do. And they're doing this all, by the way, in the name of a loving God. Uh, go figure.
Here we are, guys. We're back with Wendy's Boutique, wendyslimited.com, wendyslimited.com, and the hottest boutique couture online, boutique supremacy online, Wendy's Boutique. So we've got to remind you guys, wendyslimited.com, our great sponsor. Please go and support her and support uh, all the hardworking folks over there that are trying to bring you the best fashion design and designer brand name labels anywhere. So we just have to remind you that wendyslimited.com, Wendy'sLimited.com is where you need to go. quite the order of things right in the world regarding responsibility and the nature of human civilization and the the core and principal hermeneutic by which we understand all of the polemics all of the all the nomenclature of our worldview by which we structure and define and analyze and evaluate the world around us right the principal paradigm our worldview by which we operate and as individuals, and those as individuals building like a hive mind, the way that uh, the bees come together and make honey, and all the individuals act individually, and then as a group, they act as a group. And so core principles, the foundational moral basis by which we operate as a people will ultimately define how well we do as an economic system, as a gross domestic product. As a people, we get to, like a Grand Olympics, we get to put our way of life our beliefs up against and challenge every other way of life and belief in the world. You can see how successful America is, even bogged down and, and with all the, the sand being poured into the gears and all the, the manipulation and corruption. We still have the FBI creeping and crawling like the worms that they apparently are all over Florida trying to find some people that they can pull into their Kafka-esque Inquisition, right? And it's a horrible situation that we're faced with in America. But at this time, we have to rise to the occasion. We have to be we have to be inspired by the challenge against American patriotism, against American Republican sovereignty, the sovereignty of our nation. What we have left. Like I, I complain all the time about the condition of our nation that it's been built into an empire out of many individual sovereign nations that basically lost their rights, lost their shirts, right? Lost their economic freedom liberty to the central banks of, of Europe, France, and, and London. They lost their spiritual freedom and their liberty in Christ to the old trodden down pagan traditions of papal Rome. They, they gave their liberty and freedom of Jesus Christ and the scriptures and the Brit Hadashah and, the, and the, the New Testament belief system, and they traded all that 
for mistletoe and Christmas trees and Christmas carols and the propaganda of Christmas cheer, you know? Are, are you a Grinch? We're not gonna be turned out and sp spread our cheeks for the, uh, for the old Pope's holiday, the Pope mass, right? Ball mass, that's what I like to call it. Because you put all those ornaments and the balls on your uh, Christmas tree, ball worship. So yeah, Pope mass, we just don't do it. And so we're not Grinching out on you guys, but we're just not enlivened and invigorated by the same spirit of Vatican idolatry that you guys are so you know enwrapped in it's 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 got that wonderful lighting up the night with the, the false light got the supposed so-called fame of being the the day of Jesus Christ's birth but of course that's all fictitious mythology and folklore and it's not in the actual Bible in the testaments of documented scriptural truth and gospel it's just not there right because jesus doesn't have anything to do with that but you can go back and look in the old testament like we say if you look at the the occultists and the 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 annie Besants and the helena petrovna blavatsky's the witches of the world the the theosophists alice bailey etc some people know what i'm talking about alice a bailey if you want to be specific and you look up their occult writings and if you go look at the writings of Elias, Levi, and other, you know, high, high occultists, they made it very clear that they understood that their Mithraic, Zoroastrian, and Pythagorean cult system of mystery religion, sorcery, and occult magical craft, they, they knew they, they inherited that system from Babylon and from Egypt, right? They understood that. And so if you go back in the scriptures and you understand that, you can do your own little Bible search and you can find out that the kings... If you look at the ancient past, the ancient writings of the Old Testament, the, 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 the writings of antiquity in ancient history, you can see that the, the kings of Egypt and Babylon and Assyria and Phoenician, etc., would all celebrate together on their high pagan black mass celebration day of, let's all say it together, December 25th. And that there was one nation in the world whose God was called the Most High, whose God was called the Almighty. El Shaddai, that's what they called him. Yahweh, Elohim is his name, right? The mighty God of Israel, whose mighty city and temple was in Zion in Jerusalem. You guys know nothing about that, right? They're Zionists, the Christian Zionists. Yeah, we believe that Christ's city and his home is Zion. Stupid. So call it whatever you want. Put whatever kind of weird anti-Semitic little trope into it you want to add some little stigma stigmatize it with your bullshit that's fine whatever we, no one cares because we are we know what we're about we know that the lord is our shepherd and we do not want and when he we understand and hear his voice we know where his home is and we know what's going to happen there in that place and everyone else in the world just a bunch of godless heathens who think that they were plasmas from the from the primordial soup they, they, they were one-celled amoebas and then they became plankton uh, and, and then they became moss and then they became a turtle and then, then they became a monkey man or whatever right they, they, they think of themselves as part of the gelatinous soup of this evolutionary living ecosystem here but of course you can see that the whole point of our discussion today is to point out that our the precursor and the presupposition and the ideal behind our entire belief system and the thesis the, the actual basis of the thesis of our actual structure of our faith if you want is that it's it is that the bible is god's word and we are exactly what the bible says we are and we're people that were made for god made separately from this world and who found ourselves 
fallen and stranded and slipped down, if you will, like a rabbit hole. Slipped, slipped down from the world that we were in, in the garden, in the world of life and the, the, the world of ease and eternal, eternal bliss and eternal life and the Shekinah light of God, right? The sh God's Shekinah light covering us like a cloak so we were never naked or never cold or warm or hungry or tired, or, right? That's how Adam and Eve originally were. They weren't naked. They didn't know, understand themselves in that way. Like, like I tell as an analogy and kind of like a way to bring a description into view that to understand it is that we are an instrument. We have, we're an instrumentality. We're built that way. The same way that a, a light bulb is when you get a pack of light bulbs from the store, right? And you have a light bulb on the shelf and there it sits and you can see its inner workings and you can see kind of through the glass and you can see inside of it. You can see what it does, but it doesn't have any particular practical use at that time. And it isn't being used properly and it isn't being plugged in if you want, right? But if you take that light bulb and plug it in, all of a sudden the instrumentality and what it, the actual working of it and the actual productive use and the practical efficiency and the manifest purpose of that object transforms and becomes a, a, something that gives light. So you no longer really kind of stare at the bowl, but you say, oh, look, the dark room is lit up. I have light everywhere. You know, the, so the, the, the actual effect of the light bulb isn't apparent until we plug it in. And that's the same thing with us as individual humans. We're separated. We're separated from the original source. And I, I understand that to be exactly what it, it says. We're in the wilderness of the world. Thorns, little biting ants and mosquitoes. Like, why, why did God make mosquitoes for, right? Well, maybe what is man, what are we doing stuck in this level, in this dimension? And you can be able to, well, how could you imagine that we could have been from any other world? This is the only world around for a billion light years in any direction, right? There's no other world, apparently, that we can see. But I believe in, the, you know, in, in what the, the scripture says, and I trust God, and I believe him at his word. I have learned to do that over time. And see that it's alive and it's awake and it's not just some dead letter. And people who don't, you know, they spend time looking at the Wall Street Journal or looking at, you know, the London Financial Times. And they, they, people spend their time reading what they think is important. But if you don't take time to observe the scripture and the actual language and words and the principles and axioms that come out of the New Testament and see how they're coming to life now in the world around us, you, you won't be able to relate. So I think other people who are Bible believers and who've read it and who are inspired by that, it's much more apparent, I think, to them and much more exciting. So I think I think there's this kind of herd of kind of dead, zombie-like Uninformed, what did uh, Rush Limbaugh say? Low, low IQ, no, not, not low IQ, low information voters, right? So you're low information humans, right? You don't really understand what's going on or how to put yourself into the world as it is or understand where you've come from. You just, we, our parents were born, they fell in love, we were born, and then we fell in love and we had kids and those kids, they'll fall in love with other people and they'll, they'll have kids. It just carries on. And so we're in this kind of conveyor belt of mechanical and anatomical reality 
that is our bodies and our lives. And But those mechanisms of genetics and so on and so forth are information-based systems that our, our current academics and hacks have no way to address. So the great revelation of our day and age, I mean, we should go up to MIT. There are a bunch of jackasses who are anti-Semites, right? Anti-Semite worms up at MIT. They won't, they're, they're circling their weird little leftist wagons around their president up there. They won't let her go. So, you know, they, they just want to keep on with the idea that, well, if it's not really egregious, if it's not really serious, and it's not like, you know, action is being taken, it's okay to call for genocide of Jews. It's okay. It's going to get to MIT's policy. So this is the kind of thinking, of like, like these people don't even know how to, like, procreate, right? They, they don't even know which hole goes with what genital to even make a baby. These, these people can't even repopulate the planet, right? They have no, they, they can't even accomplish that simple task that apparently all the other ages and eons of humanity have been able to, the simple concept that they've been able to understand that, that we have children and this is how it's done with men and women and men cannot have babies. And so, so it's, it's just so absurd and it just, it's like, the, it's the absurdity and the inanity of the leftist world economic forum, uh, you know, deep, demoralization program of Yuri Bezmenov as everyone is discussing which is wonderful that everyone is being so well informed in these info wars right so we have to recognize that our presupposition and worldview our a priori belief is that we are not from here we did not evolve from any animal that you can see around here you can see that our, through our bone structure and through our, our make and our model and our VIN number almost, like our, our, our DNA VIN numbers you can see that we are very similarly related. It's very fascinating. But we're not the same. We're, we're something interesting and different. It's like in a, in, a, in, a, in a huge mall parking lot full of Nissans and old Toyotas from 1984. Right? And you just walk past thousands of old ugly Nissan trucks. It looks like Mr. Miyagi drove in them. right? And then eventually you come across one parking space and there's a 2024 Lamborghini park there. And you can see that it fits in the parking spot. It, it belongs in a parking garage, but it's just not like all the others. It's not. And so to put our finger on that and understand our own nature is the process of the apotheosis and the awakening of mankind into our own divine nature. So we don't want to sell ourselves short and go into some like delusional state of cowardice and indecision and doubt when it comes to like understanding our own nature right like well, I just see us as just part of the plankton of life right that just really absolves you of all your moral duty and your own conscience so you just I just act out on my evolutionary need to procreate right that's what that's how all these people end up at the club all the, at all hours of the night trying to you know dry hump each other with the uh with the the, uh, the little meth pills or whatever they're taking nowadays, right? Watch out for that fentanyl, dude. It's not safe. So, people's moral understanding of their own nature is debased. So, marriage is a, is a hearkening back to man's divine nature. That's why it was the first covenant when, when mankind falls. They eat the fruit, the forbidden fruit of knowledge of good and evil, right? the black and white, the duality, good and evil, right? And it was a fruit there. There was a tree, but they were instructed not to eat it, right? So all these nuances, all these interesting details. And if you go back and look at the scripture, you can see if you look in the first and second and third uh, t- uh, you know, scri- uh, chapters of 
of Genesis, you can see very clearly a, a very, very clear detail. I'm not going to go back and read it for you. Read it yourself. But it says very clearly that man was made on the third day. And you go back into the third day and see that was a time when the, the green things of the earth are being made. The earth is formed. There's water. There's lights, right? I think there's lights governing. That's about to start happening. Basically, it's coming together. And on the earth is after, after the Spirit of God hovers over the deep, right? After that, in the third day, man is made. Adam is made. That's when he's first made. And he's made perfect. He's made immortal. And you can see he's made very old. So I don't believe in a, in a, in a, in a you know, a recent earth. I don't know what, that's like flat earth stuff to me. There's no like, there's no way that the earth is 6,000 years old. And that goes over to the, the brilliant, but arrogantly cocky. Jay, over at Jay's analysis, smart and, and wonderful. But the, the earth is definitely, definitely, definitely way more than 6,000 years old, brother. That's just a fact. You can look at some of the tectonic eruptions that have shaped the geo, geo the geolithic, am I saying that right? The geography, right? And you go look at the mountain terrain and you can see that the earth has been struck by meteors. It's been around a long time. So that's not the question. The question is not how long the, the, man, the, the earth has been around. The question is how long has man been on earth? Right? So there was a time when man was, and, and, and woman and man, Adam and Eve were covered by the Shekinah light of God. They could probably join together as one being, being Adam. And then they could probably separate apart as individuals. But they were probably both covered in the Shekinah light and glory of God. And so they, they wouldn't appear the way that they did after they fell and they were naked and, they, and their light bulb was un, unscrewed and unplugged, right? They would have appeared maybe like brilliant lights. They would moved through the creation. They would have been hovering and, and flying and moving at, at the speed of light and communicating with each, each other telepathically without any kind of apparatus or wiring or radiation chip, right? Nothing like that. All right, guys. So we're going a little bit long in this particular episode. We're going to do a part two and just kind of carry on with our original thought as we're moving forward. And uh, it's clear to me that We've been getting a lot of support for our sponsor for Wendy's Boutique Limited, and I really appreciate that, guys. And I can't go on enough about how important and how essential these these entrepreneurs and the small business development within in the United States is, and really that period of unbridled enthusiasm, the white hot economic power of the Trump economy, and uh, despite the difficulties, I guess he had trying to understand what was happening with the COVID shots, and and I guess nobody's going to give him a pass for his lack of knowledge about virology, but ultimately we're carrying over this explosive and white-hot economy from the Trump period, and we can't lose any of these businesses that are, are springing up. You have a lot of businesses coming up and taking advantage of this Patriots economy, and Wendy's Boutique Limited is one of them, and she just is interested in finding the finest garments, the most comfortable and hottest designer apparel for women to wear. And then, of course, she gets enmeshed utterly into this world of political insanity with a, the insane leftists in this country apparently don't know what a woman is or who keep uh, insinuating this gender dysphoria into the general mass psychology of America. And we're trying to you know, force people to accept cringy, pedophilic, and, and downright rapey ideological concepts into our family, into our classrooms, and our kindergarten classrooms. It's crazy. So it's, it's a crucial that people and individuals and companies 
like Wendy's Boutique, who are just there to provide sexy silken lingerie and comfortable heels to women and, and good deals on Prada purses, right, has to be under attack and has to ultimately face the political wood chipper. And so we gotta we gotta stand behind Wendy's Limited, guys. Wendy's Limited.com, Wendy's Boutique Limited, Boutique Supremacy. And uh, whenever you come on there and find something that she's been able to market and you guys support her, it's it's a huge deal. It really is. Every single time, every single order, every single move of defense to protect the, the business and protect her company helps her to grow and helps her to expand even in this horrible Biden depression, right? What we're going through here in America. So once again, all the support behind Wendy's Boutique Limited is just really appreciated. And I, once again, I hope you guys will go on there and try to find a gift for one of your beautiful uh, family members, female family members, for women and by women, wendyslimited.com. So now it's time for a word from our sponsor. And as you know, our sponsor is courageously helping us to keep our show going here. So it's wendyslimited.com. Wendyslimited.com. So wendyslimited.com. Wendyslimited.com has all the hottest new styles and couture trends and latest boutique women's apparel and shoes and heels and flats and all kinds of just wonderful stuff. You have hives and honey uh, jewelry armoire. It's been a favorite lately. And we have, of course, Windsor crystal uh, lamps. I have one uh, one in stock in particular that has been a favorite. So wendyslimit.com is always open to help you get everything you need. Awesome Prada purse that we uh, saw that, that uh, Wendy's Limited just put up. So we have to think who out there wants to get incredible Prada fashion couture. You know that um, from what I hear, they're a favorite of many, many ladies out there, many women all over the place. I th- I, in fact, I think you cannot find a single family member or wife or sister or aunt or grandmother or loved one or girlfriend or what have you that uh, does not love Prada purses. So if you want to be totally awesome, you have to eventually come to grips with wendyslimited.com. Wendy's Boutique Limited has all the hottest new styles and latest women's apparel, everything you need to be totally awesome. If you're a woman or if you have a a woman who's someone that you love and of course we all love women because they're just so awesome that's why wendyslimited.com is so successful so go check out wendy's boutique wendyslimited.com is the only place to go and we have to recommend she's been totally 100% awesome to us and generous so we are always going to be buying our jewelry fine jewelry gold, gold and silver jewelry and all of our best boutique couture and designer trends are we're going to go to wendyslimited.com so check out wendy's boutique limited 